Hello, and welcome to another episode of Profiles of Endurance. I'm Father Scott Vanderveer. St. Benedict was the founder of monastery life, and he's the one who wrote the rule that all monasteries live by to this day. It's called the Rule of St. Benedict. In chapter three of that rule, he says that all the members of the monastery, no matter how old or young, no matter how new to monastic life, should be called into consultation whenever the abbot needs to make a big decision. And he says, the reason everyone should be called is because, quote, the Lord often reveals what is better to the younger, end quote. I had a conversation recently with a young person, 24 years old, who knows about endurance. And she has some advice for us that is unbelievable. At the second half of this interview, she outlines the three approaches that she is taking to facing a major struggle that is coming about in her life because of coronavirus, but on top of it, it has so many different layers, as you'll hear. And this is some rich, deep wisdom that this young woman is giving us. So I introduce to you St. Mary's parishioner, Caroline Lewis, recently returned Peace Corps volunteer, and I invite you to savor this incredible conversation between a young woman and her pastor. I'm talking today with Caroline Lewis, who left her hometown of Earlton, New York, after recently graduating from Boston College in 2018 to become a Peace Corps volunteer in the Ukraine. And Caroline, who is, by the way, at the time of, of this interview, currently in quarantine day, what day is it for you in quarantine? I lost track. I know today is Thursday. <laughs> I, I have until Saturday and I was supposed to do two weeks. So oh. I think it is day 12. Yeah, you've been 12 days in quarantine, which which is, is an indication that you are not immune from what everybody else is going through right now in any way. In fact, you're going through it in a really big way, but we'll get to that in a second because today we have an opportunity to learn about how to endure challenging situations even if they're challenges that we accepted. Sometimes it seems like you can accept a challenge and then once you enter it, you have to live with what you've accepted, even if it's really hard. So talk to me a little bit about joining and being initiated into the Peace Corps in 2018. Yeah, sure. Um, so I was a senior at Boston College in spring of 2018, and I was starting to think about, you know, what I wanted to do after graduation, which is always like the age-old hard question for college seniors. And I knew one thing that I had done a lot in college was service. And it was something that I was really interested in, like, pursuing after graduation. Because um, I think it helps you find out what you're good at and what you're interested in in, like, a really productive way. Um, so I had applied to Peace Corps kind of as a long shot chance um, because it's, like, one of the more competitive service organizations in the country and in the world. Um, so I had started the application process in around uh, December of my senior year, so of 2017, and I found out that I got accepted in February of 2018, a few days before my birthday, mm. and I was told that I had three days to decide whether I was going wow. or not. Wow. And so I remember I called you, Father Scott, and I was like, I haven't told my parents yet about any of this. Yes. And I have three days to decide. 
side, um, which definitely was one of the quicker decisions that I've ever had to make in my short life. Um, yeah. But yeah, I was really excited. I was obviously nervous, um, but once I had accepted the um, the request to go, um, once I had accepted it, I kind of just started like buckling down. I think I'm like pretty pragmatic, and so mm. I started, you know, trying to study the language, trying to get prepared, trying to start packing things, saying goodbyes, and that sort of thing. Uh, but overall, I was really excited to see the impact that Peace Corps would have on my life, and. Mm. Uh, I didn't really know how, um, but I knew that it would probably change me for the better. Um, so, yeah. Tell um, me, how long were you able to study Ukrainian before you left, departed to actually go there? So, I started studying pretty much from uh, probably about May um, after my, like, fi- my my final exams were over at university. I probably started studying in May. Um, and I used that Duolingo app, the, mm. the OWL. Yeah. Um, to try to learn, like, the alphabet at least. Um, I think I still see that Duolingo owl, like, standing in the corner of my room. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, so I started just doing, like, basic things. I remember doing the pronunciation stuff was really hard. Because it's hard if you don't hear a native speaker. And yes. I remember I was playing in my bed probably late July, thinking I'm never going to be able to do this. This language is so hard. There are no letters that look like my letters at all. Oh. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, so, yeah, the language learning process for me started pretty early. Um, but then once we got to Ukraine, we had about 11 weeks of pretty intensive, like they call it pre-service training. Um, so all of us go to Ukraine together in our big cohort. And then we get separated into small groups, and we do four hours of intensive language training every day for 11 weeks. Um, And we also work at Ukrainian schools and organizations, kind of like starting to learn how to work with Ukrainians and how to run English clubs and mini camps and things like that. So at the end of my training, I felt like I was pretty prepared to go into my permanent site and start doing some cool stuff. But Caroline, your brain... 11 weeks of language training in such a different language, your brain must have turned to jello at some days. You must have just felt like it was the challenge of a lifetime to, to really believe that you could enter into this. How did you, how did you do that? I mean, all of us, I mean, I, I've studied Spanish and 20% of the words are pretty much the same as in English with an O at the end. And here, (laughs) and I was completely challenged by it. You were doing a language so difficult. How did you overcome the days of discouragement when when your brain just would not cooperate with the task at hand? Yeah, that's a good question. I think especially because it almost felt like the simulation was never over. Mm. Like I would go to class and I would be like, okay, I'm in Ukraine class. And then I would leave. I'd say, oh, I can't wait to go home. And then I would think, oh, my God. I have to speak Ukrainian at home, too, because oh. no one knows English. Oh. <laughs> it's like a sick game of The Sims that, like, never ends. It's <laughs> in life. Um, I think just trying to stay as positive as possible and just be okay with making mistakes and sounding like an idiot a lot mm. of the time, that's kind of just what I did. I said, I'm just going to try to talk and be chatty. And if they don't understand, I'll try again. And if they laugh, I'll laugh too. And I think uh, a lot of what really helps just finding people that were willing to talk with me, even though it was probably frustrating for them as well. Um, and I think just like trying to find those support systems 
there um, that would like, you know, try to help me along and correct me when need be and just, you know, give me positive re-encourage, like reinforcement when I needed it and things like that. Um, and also just kind of realizing that in the big picture, like I went to Ukraine to do that and to learn the language. I think that's part of where that real like personal development comes from is through feelings of frustration and like pushing through those feelings. So. Oh, talk to me about what it, it seems like anybody who ever moves abroad has to deal with. Talk about the hardest part of homesickness. When did that come and what was it like? Yeah, I think the hardest part of uh, homesickness was what the millennials are calling FOMO, which is the acronym Fear of Missing Out. Oh, yes. So all of my friends from college were all living in Boston and they were all doing these super cool jobs and they were all, you know, hanging out every weekend and going out to restaurants and bars and, you know, doing basically what we did in college except with money, which was great. (laughs) And I think when I first left for Ukraine, I kind of felt like, oh, I'm paving the way of the world and I'm off doing all these cool things, which lasted for a few months. But, you know, when it turned to January and it was cold and snowy and I was in my village at that point, Mm. I wasn't really doing much of anything socially. And then seeing my friends, you know, who were all either home for Christmas break or in Boston, that's when I think it really hit me. Like, I'm not there and I'm here and I'm not going to be home for a long time. And I'm worried about the connections with my friends and if they're going to last because of the time you know, the time zone difference, it's hard to talk and Mm. they're busy and I'm busy. And yeah, so I think it was more of like what I was seeing on Facebook and Instagram and things like that. Me not really having much to post, you know, I can't post the same cow every day. (laughs) (laughs) No one wants to see the same cow. Which is remarkable though, because what your friends were doing was living a typical American 20-something life. And what you were doing was like the service Olympics. So how interesting that what you were doing, which is incredibly more interesting than having a job in a cubicle and, and going out to Cheesecake Factory once a week, even though it was so much more interesting, it didn't look as good on social media. Yeah. Isn't it's that? true. Mm. So was there a moment when you knew that you were starting to adjust? What were the mileposts that let you know, oh my gosh, I I might actually be okay now? I think um, one of, I, I think the time when I really started feeling comfortable was the, the summertime. I don't really know why that is. I think winter is hard everywhere and winter is especially hard when you're not home. Um, and I think once summer hit, I really started to kind of like find my stride. Mm. And I started, um, I lived alone at, at the time, but I still kind of had a host family where I would go over there for meals. And I would go over there just to kind of hang out and sit. And I think once I started going over there and not calling before, I realized that I was kind of like part of the oh. family. Which I think is a, it's also a big Ukrainian cultural thing is that no one calls before you go anywhere. You just go. Yes. And you just open the door, you don't knock, you you just go and you enter and it's, you're just there. And so I think, I, I remember, it was must have been in probably May or June, and I just walked into my host sister's Anna's house and I didn't call. And she said, <laughs> oh, hi, Carolina, you're, you're here. And I was like, yeah, I'm here. And I realized, oh my gosh, I didn't call. That's so rude. But I realized, okay, no, it's okay because it's my family now and I wouldn't call before going over to my grandma's house in America. I would just go. Wow, and wow. So I think. 
that's when I realized that I was, you know, starting to be like a part of the family and like feel adjusted. And that kind of like escalated exponentially, I think, as the summer and the fall and my next winter went on. And so, yeah. You know what I think is interesting is one of the trademarks of being a Peace Corps volunteer that you can never, you can never ignore. There's no cheat days for this. You are always, while you're in service, an ambassador for the United States of America, wherever you are. There's no way to not be. What's interesting is now that you're here, you are a bit of an ambassador for the Ukraine. Tell me, if you were going to talk to Americans about about the Ukraine, what what would be the most important thing you'd want them to know? Yeah, I think there were just a few things, even with like vernacular, because I think that Ukraine has come up a lot lately in the news in terms of like political scandals and now with the coronavirus and, and different things. Yes. Even like, so for example, a lot of people say like the Ukraine which is actually like a reflection of when it was a Soviet territory, which is really interesting, which I didn't realize this until like a few months ago. Ah. But, yeah, but Ukrainians actually get like pretty like protective over calling it Ukraine with the capital U, we say. Like instead of saying the Ukraine, because now they're like an independent country, which is actually like, really interesting. That and, is, that is. Yeah. yeah, it's almost like saying the South, you know, like which yeah. is a part of the US. They're not a part of anything. They're their own thing. Yeah. Which is super interesting. That is. And, like, who know English because I would always say the Ukraine this is what I had grown up hearing and what I had grown up saying and Ukrainians who speak English will say Carolina it's Ukraine like we're our own country now which is interesting and um, I think like going off of that I think a lot of people still think that Ukraine is like a part of Russia and still has Russian culture and Ukraine has such a unique and interesting like individual culture there like uh. certain things that are like Ukrainian music like the Ukrainian language which is not Russian it's like very distinct. Mm. And I think because Ukraine has such an individual culture that has lasted through years of being dominated by another country, it gives Ukrainians such a sense of like patriotism and like not only patriotism but love of their country that I think a lot of Americans don't have. Oh because wow! We never really had to fight against a dominating power because we are the power, really. Yeah, and I think that living in a country and living with people where they, you know, haven't taken their freedom for granted is like really, really special. And I think I, I think me coming back to America now, I want to share Ukrainian culture and Ukrainian traditions with people because I know how much Ukrainians love that stuff. Caroline, I, I, it would be a mistake to not bring up the fact that, for less, I mean, this is so fresh, it's probably hard to even talk about. It's been less than three weeks now for you to go through one of the biggest sadnesses, challenges, tragedies of your life so far, which is what happened back a couple of weeks ago when you, with almost no notice, were ripped away from this country that had become a second home to you. And no, not many Peace Corps volunteers of the past can relate to this at all because ever since the Peace Corps was founded, it's been this enduring, uh, always, you always knew that there were Peace Corps volunteers at work somewhere in the world. That is actually not possible right now for the first time in in maybe the history of the Peace Corps. And you had 12 hours notice. Can... This is a terrible challenge, and I know it's a story that's very fresh, so 
Um, I hope you can feel that that I'm asking respectfully for you to share some of this with with listeners because you are not, I guess the thing that's important to highlight here is you are in the challenge of coronavirus with all of us. You have to deal with the the situation that every other person does. As a matter of fact, even more than many of us because you're in an official quarantine right now that doesn't end for a few more days. But on top of that, your entire trajectory that you were on was taken from you with no notice. Can you talk to us about what happened? Yeah, sure. Um, I think um, the hardest part of everything was not getting to say like a proper goodbye. Because I think that that is part of what makes... Peace Corps and any kind of international service experience so valuable is getting to close out what you've done in like a healthy way. And all of us just lost that. I mean, I was thinking really seriously about extending my service for a third year. And that had already been a conversation I had had with my host family, with the kids at my school, you know, Peace Corps staff. And so for me, it was even more unexpected because it wasn't even a thought in my head that I was going to have to leave soon. And I, you know, how I wanted to do goodbyes was very different than how they actually happened. Um, uh. I guess I can give one example. So after you complete your Peace Corps service, um, all of us go to the Peace Corps office in Kiev in the capital, and we all have what they call a completion of service ceremony. Mm. And you get to wear your, tr- your traditional Ukrainian bishavaka, your Ukrainian dress, and you get to say a speech, and oftentimes your host family comes or your... Ukrainian counterparts that you've worked with, and you get to ring a bell. It's called like, the completion of service bell. Wow. And it's hung up in the Peace Corps office, and they post the video of your speech on the Peace Corps Ukraine Facebook page and all that stuff, but none of us got to do that. Ugh. And so when we were on the plane after you know, being in the airport all night, and the boarding pass machine broke in Kiev and just waiting in line until 5 in the morning, we got on the plane, and we're on this long-haul international flight, and somebody had a small bell that they had brought from home and they said okay we're gonna pass the bell around because our service is over and if anybody would like to ring the bell ring the bell now oh the bell came to me and i looked at it and i passed it i was like i can't ring the bell right now like i don't want to do it this way i wanted you know my family my friends to be there to see all this and i wanted to say things and i wanted to you know take time to sit in like a moment of gratefulness and you know pride for what i've done and i'm not ringing it on this plane and so I think that like little moment kind of summarizes how I feel about this whole experience. Um, oh. It just is not, it didn't give justice to what I did and how much I changed and the feelings I felt over there. It just, it, it just how we left just doesn't do justice to any of that. And that's a shame. And I think a big part of, you know, how I'm going to try to cope with this is finding a way to do that goodbye and to get closure and to process it in the non-traditional way and like not the way that I had expected to do it. So you're taking responsibility for that though. You're going to figure that out. Yeah, I think I will. I think I will. I just think it comes with time and thankfully all of us have the time right now, including me to like process everything and to just try to figure out what my next steps are. So for those, for those who may not understand you, one of the words you said it was it, it just wasn't fair the way the way it all had this wasn't this wasn't just yeah. speaking of an unjust situation can you tell us briefly about the renovation project that is one of those heartbreaks that's hard to even talk about yeah so i um had recently 
got approved for a small projects assistant grant through USAID, which is like a uh, international development organization run in the States. And we had gotten about like 2000 US dollars to renovate a room in my school and do teacher training so that teachers would learn how to work with special needs youth. Yeah. Um, and the room in our school was going to be used for like a safe haven for kids with special needs to go to during the day, like during the school day. And so I had received all this money and I had bought all the supplies for the renovation and we demolished the room to get ready for the renovation. We, you know, tear off the paint and we tear up the floor and we tear the sink out and, you know, we take basically hacksaws to this room and then we leave and all the money gets taken back and the Ukrainians don't get to use this money to finish the renovation or buy any of the furniture or complete the project. So mm. I have the photos. Mm. I almost have the before photo, but I don't have the after photo. Oh. I have the photo of all of my students, you know, tearing off the drywall and all of this stuff, but I don't have the finished product, and I don't know how they're going to do it without this money. And I don't know how they're going to do it without me there, and I'm, you know, sad that oh. I'm not going to get to be a part of it. And so oh. that's... And that type of situation happened to, you know, 7,000 Peace Corps volunteers that got evacuated. It's just like things weren't finished and it's, you know, it's horrible and it's not fair. But, you know, you just have to try to see the positive in it and realize that, okay, you know, we tried and we did what we could and this is out of our control and just try to, you know, deal with it. Caroline, I talked to you uh, maybe nine or ten days ago for uh for a good long chat which i really cherished and uh you're in a very new place from even where you were then you've made progress in your in your process tell me what's your mindset how are you going to deal with this because there are people you know there's people listening who uh don't know how they're going to cope with what what they're facing because of coronavirus, yeah. either because of what it's done to their job, their financial situation, their their worry about their their own health or someone they love. What is your mindset for a challenge this painful? This 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 it, it's like an earthquake in your life. Yeah. How are you going to respond productively or however I mean just in general to this yeah. earthquake? I did have three major things I'm trying to do. I think the first one is to just like meet myself where I'm at because I don't expect to be jumping out of bed with a smile and a thumbs up every day at this point. Mm. And I don't think a lot of us are in the situation to be doing that when honestly we forget what day it is. Our routine and schedule is completely not there. And I think it's not healthy to push yourself or try to criticize yourself for not being where you think you should be emotionally or spiritually or whatever. I think just like being kind to yourself and meeting yourself where you are is something that I've been really trying to do and just like be conscious of how I'm feeling and trying to just be nice to myself and let Mm. myself take time to, you know, relax and binge watch a show or call a friend or just like, not necessarily hit the ground running right away because it's just not necessarily what's good for people right now. And that includes me. Um, I think the second point to kind of go off of that and contradict it a little bit is try to be as active as you can in ways that are good for you. Like Mm. for example, I'm still trying to work out and I do yoga every day and I've been, you know, keeping up with my prayer life. I've been doing the daily Lenten videos through Dynamic Catholic. Mm. Slowly starting to 
going to work on resumes and reconnect with old professors and just at the same time being kind with myself, pushing myself to a degree that's comfortable. Because mm. I, I think that's what's really been helping is just trying to have a sense of routine and saying, okay, like you have to work out today because it's good for you and you know you'll feel better after. And there's a difference between that and unhealthily pushing yourself, I think. So like finding that balance has been really important for me. Mm. And the third is I think to just like rely on people and lean on people when you feel like you need to. I think that everybody feels so isolated right now. And just because you're isolated doesn't mean that you're alone. Mm. And I think that you still have people in your life that you can go to and that you can lean on and that want to help support you. Um, And I think being aware of those relationships in your life and like nourishing them and reaching out to people when, you know, you feel like you need to and being there for people when they need you, I think is just something that is really important right now. And I think that, like I said, just because you're isolated doesn't mean that you're alone. And I think trying to focus on that is what I've been doing. So those are my oh, three quarantine tips. So helpful. They are so helpful. And I like that we've been talking a lot recently in the videos and the chats that we've been doing for the parishes about the need to make room for paradox. That And, and your first two are a great example of that. You have to do allow yourself to do nothing and make sure to do something. It, it sounds like a paradox, but uh, it, it sounds impossible. It sounds, it sounds like those two things aren't co- able to coincide, but they are because what, what you're saying is there's got to be room for everything in this experience. And, and being kind to yourself was a beautiful way to frame that, being kind to yourself. Yeah. Uh, you know, before we go, um, I'm trying to ask, we're, we're talking with a lot of people about uh, enduring through hard things. And, and I, it feels like there's a, a few questions that I'd like to ask everybody. And, um, they're just kind of lightning round questions. So you don't have to, you don't have to feel like you have to give an exhaustive response, but I'm wondering what your gut tells you about these three questions. First one is some people say everything happens for a reason in life. Do you think that's true? is that you can find a reason out of everything that happens to you. Whether there's a reason or not, I think you need to like find your personal reason in the situation. So I think that some things can just happen because they happen, but it's your responsibility to find your own reason in that. I love that. That's beautiful. What a, that's a lot for our listeners to think about. I think that's beautiful. Second question. In your experience, and now you've got some good experience under your belt and you're in the middle of it right now, what do you think is your key for practicing the virtue of endurance? Um, definitely be kind to yourself and laugh at yourself too. And just be, you know, flexible with yourself and push yourself and just try to, I think self-reflection would honestly be like the biggest mm. key that I have. It's just like realizing your emotions and where you're at and like dealing with them accordingly. Oh, it's, it's, that's, makes perfect, perfect sense. And it explains why you're in such a different place than you were nine days ago. Yeah. Tell me, last question. Tell me about your dreams for your life after coronavirus is over. What are your best hopes for life going forward after this? Um, I'm really excited for American food and sitting in a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> um, but more seriously, um, I hope that people appreciate what they have after this is over because I've seen 
I've been in a culture in a country with people who every day appreciate what they've got. And I think that's such a special thing to keep in mind. It's just like the attitude of gratitude. I always say, mm. I think that I think that Americans in general, we've lost that. And I think that this could be something that will bring that back for people. And I think just going into your days with gratitude for little things like going to, you know, cheesecake factory, I think that's something that I hope that people keep with them and that will carry into their daily life and their relationships and their choices and yeah. I hope so too. That's that's a beautiful yeah. wish. And and I just have to take notice that your wish for the best hopes for life is not a personal wish, it's for all of us. So that's really, really beautiful. I all right, so let me just I'd like to just address anybody who's listening to this for just a moment. What did you hear in this conversation that brought you life or hope? What did you hear? What, was there one, something that she said was, that was particularly for you, for where you are right now? Whoever you are, it's very unlikely, unless you're a personal friend of Caroline, who she connected to this, this conversation, you probably aren't going through anything exactly like she is. You weren't in the Peace Corps this, this year. You, you aren't dealing with that challenge, but you're dealing with another kind. What is it that she said that could make this just a little easier, could put a little bit of room around the experience or could soften the, the harsh edge of it a little bit? What is it that you most need for right now? Caroline Lewis, it is so delightful to talk to you always, but it is especially in a time when you are showing your true colors. It is really beautiful, and I am so proud to be your pastor, and I am so sorry that you had to come home this way, but boy, am I glad to have you close again. Caroline Lewis, thank you for this, and thank you for the, the lessons that you're here to share. Thank you, Father Scott, so much. Thank you. All right, everybody, thank you. God bless you all.